Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. God bless you all. We are reading through our series in the letter of 1 John. We're preaching through a series in which we're reading the letter of 1 John. This disciple of Jesus, this first century disciple of Jesus who was close to our Lord as he walked the earth and who left behind a message of what it means to live the Christian life, to have Jesus at the center of all we do. And remember, if you've been following along, we began this series by saying that uh, just as when you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out, when you squeeze a Christian, what ought to come out is the love of Christ. When Christians go through the struggles and trials of this life, what ought to emerge from us is the love of Christ. Well, today, in today's text, we come to a point where John wants to uh, warn us that there is a way we can go off course here. You, you may uh, know if you've been here before, you know that I've said the Bible is for us a treasure map and it's also cautionary tape. It's a treasure map that shows us where to find real life and true life and full life. But it's, it's also cautionary tape that says, don't go off in this direction, that will steer you wrong. And today, John is going to lay out some cautionary tape to make sure we don't wander down wrong paths. Take a minute and pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you love us and that you call us to faith and that you've left us this word through your friend John to teach us what it means to have you fully in the center of our lives. Jesus, we invite you in. We invite you in to dispel uh, our guilt and the embarrassments of our past and the brokenness of this last week and the distractions of today. We invite you in to speak into our minds and our hearts clearly. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we're in 1 John chapter 2, uh, and we're going we're gonna to dive right in here at verse 18. You can read along with me uh, in your Bible at home. Dear children, this is the last hour. And you'll notice at a few points in the New Testament, they talk this way that it's as though the world is ending today. And here we are 2,000 years later. And for 2,000 years, people have talked like the world could end at any minute. And you may hear in popular media, Christian speakers saying, well, because of what's going on in Israel or Russia or China, it means the world is going to come to an end soon. Jesus himself said, you're not going to know when it's happening, so cool your jets a bit. We've been speculating about it for 2,000 years. We may speculate about it for another 2,000 years. So live like you're going to stand in front of Jesus today, but don't get obsessed with figuring out when the world's going to end. John uh, realized that after Jesus had come, they were in the last season of humanity's relationship to God because we were no longer under law. Now we live in the grace and in the shadow of the cross. So it is the last hour, this last season. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now here's a word that a lot of people know because they've watched too many horror movies. Uh, we're coming into October. It's Halloween season. Uh, and I'm going to preach a series about uh, some of the, the, the dark areas of 
uh, spiritual life. Uh, coming up pretty soon here, but uh, uh, you've heard the word antichrist because a lot of a lot of doomsday preachers and horror movies like to talk about it. I, I want to make sure we understand what John is saying here. The word antichrist is only used five times in the New Testament, only by John, and none of them are in the book of Revelation. John is not talking about some monster that will crawl up out of the ocean like Godzilla. He's also not talking about Satan or some demon dressed as a, disguised as a political figure that one day is going to pull off his mask and say, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. That's, that's not what he's talking about. Uh, I, I side with Tom Wright, British philosopher Tom Wright on this, who prefers to translate this word anti-Messiah instead of anti-Christ because the term anti-Christ has so much baggage tied to it because of horror movies over the last 40 years. Uh, Here's where the word anti-Messiah that John uses, uh, anti-Christ that John uses comes from. In the Old Testament, when a king stepped forward to be crowned king uh, at their coronation, they would kneel down and a prophet would pour olive oil over their heads. This was often used in grooming and hair care as a kind of a product, and it was a sign of the, uh, the promise of a plentiful harvest in the king's reign. And so olive oil was poured, poured over the king's head, and this was called an anointing. And so when the king was anointed, he became the anointed one. And the Hebrew word for the anointed one is Meshiah, which is Messiah. The word Messiah simply means the one who has been anointed to be king. So when Saul becomes the first king of Israel, he is called in the Hebrew scriptures a Messiah. And then David becomes a Messiah. And then Solomon becomes a Messiah. And it's simply a term that could uh, equate to king of Israel. The one who is anointed, the one who has been anointed, Messiah, Messiah, is the king. And so it's We tend to think, oh, Messiah, there's only one, and it's Jesus. You can think of that as Messiah, capital M. But the term Messiah had been around and had been used for every king of Israel. So the Greek translation of Messiah, of Messiah, is Christos, which in English we say Christ. And so when we say Jesus Christ, we're using the term Jesus the king, Jesus the anointed one. Uh, it's, It's not his last name. He was not the son of Joseph and Mary Christ. Jesus Christ, son of, it's a title. He was Jesus, the anointed one. So John now talks about people who are going to be anti-Christ, anti-Messiah, anti-the anointed one. And he's going to tell us very specifically who he's talking about. Uh, he won't exactly give us a name, but he's going to give us some details on who this is. And, and it's a false teacher who is spreading the word that Jesus is not the anointed king. It's not a monster. It's not a demon in disguise. It's a human being who's a false teacher. And he's going to get into some details on that. Verse 19, they, these antichrists, went out from us, us being Christians, the church. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belong to us. So apparently, this is a group of people who once called themselves Christians, who called themselves members of the church, who have now left 
the gathering of the church, and are spreading false teachings about Jesus. That's who the Antichrists are. It's important to realize there are two groups that John is not talking about. He's not talking about a group of Christians who have simply formed a different church. Right? That would be sort of the, uh, the Roman Catholic take on other churches, that if you're not Roman Catholic, you're not part of the true church. You're a false church. You're not really a church at all. And that is a false doctrine that the Roman Catholic Church uses to control people and to manipulate people. If Jesus were standing right here, right now, he would say, that's wrong. That is a false teaching. Because Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he's there with them. And the church is the body of all people who believe in Jesus and follow him. There's not one human institution that is the true church with all the rest of them being false. And people who claim that are being manipulative and dishonest to try to control people. So be wary of people who tell you they're the only true church or you have to be baptized in their church for your baptism to count. That is not biblical doctrine. And John is not talking about Christians who have gone off to form a different church. Nor is he talking about a group of Christians with slightly different doctrine in, in essential things. Because there are lots of gatherings of Christians who have slightly different uh, doctrines in, in essential things. Some Christians believe that you can baptize infants, and some believe you should only baptize adults. And they're both Christians. Some believe that there's going to be a rapture where Jesus comes and people are lifted up and there's a millennium of suffering or whatnot. Some believe that's not the way it is. And they're both Christians. Some believe you can go and order your burgers animal style and some say you can have four by fours. And they're both Christians. If you don't get that, if that's Southern California humor uh, and it has to do with in and out And if you don't know it, maybe you're not saved. I don't know. No, uh, you can disagree on in essential matters and still both be Christians. And John is not talking about Christians who have simply disagreed on an inessential in matter. What he's talking about is people who are going out and preaching an essentially different gospel. They have abandoned part of the core of the Christian faith. And he's gonna tell us what doctrine it is, what's, what's of most importance here. And we don't know exactly which group now he's talking about, he doesn't give them a name. But one of the early tangents away from Christianity that came out especially in the second century. And this might be related to what John is talking about because John lived well through uh, probably the last decade of the first century. There was a group of people uh, or groups of people called Gnostics. And Gnostics comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And these were people who claimed that they had a special knowledge from God. And if, if you joined their sect or their, uh, their religious group, you could have their special knowledge. And anybody else was secondary, was not as good, because they didn't have the secret knowledge that these Gnostic groups had. Usually these were from um, Greek mystery cults that believed in all the Greek gods or all the Roman gods, and they heard about Jesus, and they just tried to add Jesus in to their pantheon of other gods and say, uh, we have a special way of reading the scripture, or we have a special scripture that the other Christians don't, don't have, or the Holy Spirit has revealed to us secrets that it hasn't revealed to other Christians. And if you join our group, then you get to have secret knowledge. And maybe, maybe we're the only ones who are right. There's a good chance that John is talking about someone like that, who was in the church for a little while, because they were taking Jesus and adding him to their already uh, mysterious beliefs in other gods, and then left the church 
having rejected uh, Jesus as the Messiah. So beware of religious people who tell you that they're the only way, that you have to be baptized in their church, or that they have a secret knowledge, and only if you join their circle or only see things their way are you, are you right or are you saved. The gospel is open to everyone, at least as open as we keep our Bibles. You don't have to have some secret knowledge to get there. Okay, so verse 20. Now he's going to tell us a little bit more about who these antichrists are, what they believe. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Uh, you have uh, received the Holy Spirit. And in receiving the Holy Spirit, you believed in Jesus. And in believing in Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. Those two come hand in hand. When you receive Jesus, you receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you receive Jesus. Um, uh, one uh, well-known biblical teacher, Dale Bruner, who used to teach at a, a college called Whitworth up in Washington, would say that the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. Because what the Holy Spirit's goal was to do was to point towards Jesus and his cross. And the Holy Spirit was perfectly content to be hidden as long as it could point towards Jesus. So the Holy Spirit would do this. Pay attention to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Pay attention to his cross. The Holy Spirit's desire is not to call our attention to the Spirit, but to call our attention to Christ. And so uh, John wants, wants them to realize, he's writing to his congregation, you've believed in Jesus and so you've received the Holy Spirit. And now he, he plays with words a little bit. As Jesus as the anointed one, is the anointed one, so you have received his anointing. Uh, verse, are we in 20, 22? Verse 22. Who is the liar? Right? Who are these antichrists? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the anti-messiah denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledged the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. So here's the heart of the message of the Antichrist. They are Antichrist because they are teaching that Jesus is not the Christ, the Anointed One, the King who has come. Um, maybe they're looking for a different kind of king, and Jesus wasn't going to be an earthly king like uh, the other kinds of kings. Maybe they want to just include him in their pantheon of other gods, and Jesus is the one and only God, not one among many. Um, so that the people who have gone out from the church are teaching that Jesus is not the Messiah. And if you lose Jesus, you lose the Father. The two come and go together. This is early Trinitarian theology. The Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, but it paints a picture of Trinitarian theology as, as John thinks about it. If you receive Jesus, you receive the Spirit. If you receive the Spirit, you receive Jesus, because the Spirit's job is to point to Jesus, not call attention to itself. If you receive Jesus, you have the Father, and if you don't, you don't. They come and go together. And so that's early Trinitarian theology. When you get the Spirit, you get the Son and the Father. When you reject the Son, you reject the Spirit and the Father. They, they come and go together. I remember talking to a couple who uh, had come to our church for a few times. They'd come from a, 
uh, mainline Protestant church in Claremont and uh, listened to a few sermons. And they, they caught me after a service and they said, now you seem in your sermons to be equating Jesus with God. You seem to be equating Jesus with God. Is that what you mean to be doing? And I replied, that is what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. These people had been going to church for years. I don't know what it was they were hearing, but they were not hearing that Jesus and God come together. What, what John says explicitly here, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the Father. If you have Jesus, you have the Father. Jesus uses the same kind of language as recorded in John 17, I am in the Father and he is in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So Jesus exalts himself to equality with God, though he does so in humility as a servant on the earth. And so there was early ambiguity and debate about the relationship of Jesus and the Father. But John is very clear on it. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have God. There's no way around Jesus to God. Jesus is the way to God and the lens through which we see God. Uh, I remember a pastor um, who um, was, was a pastoring um, a guy who was struggling with the identity of Jesus. This couple had been members of his church uh, for a while. Uh, and my friend, whose name was Earl, he was a pastor, um, these, uh, this couple was coming to his church and the husband suddenly stopped coming to church. And the wife came and sought out Earl, their pastor, and said, um, I have a problem. Uh, my, my husband has joined this cultish group and they have him in Bible study every, every night of the week. And they're telling him things like he needs to give them all of his money. And he, it sounds like they're trying to pull him away from our family. Can you do anything? And so this pastor friend of mine scheduled a lunch with this guy uh, from their church, this guy who had now joined this, this cultish group that claimed to be a Christian group. And he sat down with this guy and he said, hey, I, I heard you've joined this, this other church group. Uh, tell me about it. And the man said, oh, I love everything about them. They are so clean cut. Uh, they have, they, all of them have short hair. This was in Berkeley, right? So they're not hippies at all. Uh, and they're very, uh, they're very patriotic. Uh, they dress well. They, they, they don't dress like slobs. I like every single bit about them. And the, this uh, pastor listened to him for a while. And then he had the wisdom not to argue, but he asked a question. He said, uh, is there anything you don't like about them? And the man said, well, yes. Now that you ask, yes. He said, 95% of what they are, I like. But there's, there's 5% uh, I'm a little uncomfortable with. And the 5% is their teachings about Jesus. It doesn't sound like their teachings about Jesus come from the Bible. In fact, when I read about the Jesus in the Bible and then I listen to the Jesus they talk about, it sounds like they're talking about someone else. 95% of what they say I like, but there's 5% that makes me uncomfortable. And this, uh, this pastor looked at him and said, you know, it might be that what you think is the 5% should actually be the 95%. And what you think is the 95% should actually only be 5%. In other words, maybe what the group thinks about Jesus is the most important thing. And the way they dress or their, their short haircuts, maybe that's of minor importance. I mean, if you like short haircuts, skinheads are bald. And that's the essence of shortness. And you don't want to be a skinhead. So 
so maybe the 5% should be the 95% and the 95% should be the 5%. And I think that really sat with the guy, but what ultimately pulled him out of that culty group is his wife said it's them or me. And so he pulled out of the cult uh, to preserve his marriage. This is what John is after. There will, people, there will be people who come out from the, the church and, and they will talk about Jesus. They will sound like Christians because they're talking about Jesus. But what they say about Jesus is not what you see of the Jesus in the scriptures. And maybe they preach a Jesus who's much more uh, of a political conqueror or uh, uh, part of a pantheon of gods where you just believe whatever you want to and it's all the same. But either way, those are antichrists. Anything that teaches that Jesus is anything other than the chosen one of God, the one through whom we know the Father, the one with whom the Father comes, with, with whom we get receive the Spirit, anything other than that is not Christianity. And that's what John wants us to see, because that is at the heart of what Christians believe. You have to have Jesus to have the Father. Okay, verse 25. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Uh, stick with Jesus, because if you lose Jesus, you lose the Father. But if you, if you stay with Jesus, you inherit the kingdom. Um, I, want, I want to make sure you understand the, the, con, the context of which, in which John is preaching here. Um, John was in Ephesus, and in Ephesus, there was this, this monumental temple to the goddess Artemis. This was the highlight of all of Ephesus. In fact, uh, the temple of Ephesus, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And one ancient writer who saw the temple of Artemis in Ephesus said this, I have set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon on which a road, on which is a road for chariots. In other words, this other um, amazing monument in Babylon. I've seen the statue of Zeus by the Alpheus, this gigantic statue that had been built. I've seen the hanging gardens. Uh, Babylon had these incredible hanging gardens. I've seen the Colossus of the Sun and the huge labor of the high pyramids and the vast tomb of Masalus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, these other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, Apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on anything so grand. That's how an ancient writer spoke of the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. And that is the city in which John did ministry. The apostle Paul had first gone to Ephesus before there was a Christian church there. And he planted a church there. He began to teach people about Jesus. And as opposed to just including Jesus in their pantheon, they started to turn away from Artemis and the other Greek gods to worship Jesus alone. And this disrupted the economy of Ephesus because Ephesus was a wealthy town that attracted pilgrims from all over the place who came to Ephesus to see the famous temple of Artemis and to spend money there. 
And the silversmiths in Ephesus made little statues of Artemis and of the temple, and they sold them. So they made a fortune off of these pilgrims who came to Ephesus. And the apostle Paul went there to run interceptions for Jesus, to, to intercept those people coming to worship Artemis and introduce them to the true God. And this so disrupted the economy of Ephesus that one day the silversmiths and the other merchants grabbed Paul and they dragged him into the amphitheater there, the theater in which they, they might watch you know gladiators compete. It'd be like dragging someone into a cage at an MMA match to have a conversation. And they cheered for two, year, two hours about Artemis of the Ephesians. They cheered uh, Megas, Artemis, Ephesus. Megas, Artemis, Ephesus, which is Greek for great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They chanted for hours uh, back and forth about how great Artemis was. And, and Paul here is on the hot seat because he's teaching another God. And eventually it all gets settled. And Paul goes on to do ministry there and the church grows. And then Paul moves on to plant other churches and John, the disciple of Jesus, sets up shop in Ephesus. He, he becomes essentially the second pastor to this church and begins to preach Jesus and writes these, these now famous letters that we read of his. Uh, and the church in Ephesus grew for 200 years, right there in the shadow of the temple of, the, of, of Artemis, because John ran interceptions for Jesus. John set himself up right in the traffic flow of people coming to worship a false god, and he ran interceptions for Jesus. Listen to this. This is important for you and I today. Don't be quick to run away from California. I'm not talking about people who get a job transfer, or people who retire, or people who go move near family. I'm talking about the people I've heard specifically say, I'm moving away from California because it is too liberal. Don't run away from the pathway of pilgrims to the temple of Artemis in which God has placed you to run interceptions because the God who is in you is greater than the gods of this world. When John warns us about anti-messiahs, about people who teach anything other than the fact that Jesus is the chosen one who leads us to God. He's laying out cautionary tape for us because he loves us. He loves his congregation. And he knows that real life, true life, healthy life comes in Jesus. It comes through Jesus. And he doesn't want us led astray. But the goal isn't to hide out. The goal isn't to go run find a hiding place where you never interact with the secular marketplace. The goal is to run interceptions for Jesus and to lead a world of pilgrims looking for any God they can find to the one true God whom we know in Jesus Christ. That's what John did. That's what the, the history of Ephesus was. And, and, and the church continued to flourish for 200 years uh, after John was there. And what actually finally brought the temple of Artemis down was not the Christian church. It was the Northern Europeans who came storming down into Rome and conquered it. The Ostrogoths and the Visigoths came down and, and stormed Rome and they, well, they would level the temple of Artemis. They'd knock it to the ground. All the Goths came down, you know, dressed in black and playing Depeche Mode. And they, this is where the Dark Ages began. And they came down and they leveled the temple of Artemis and it was trashed and it was no more. Uh, and, and the church 
uh, rather than being leveled, the church spread through the invaders. Uh, the church infected those who tried to conquer it, and eventually all of Europe became Christianized. So whereas Artemis could not withstand, the church was poised to run interceptions for Jesus, and they were more than happy to interact with people who were lost sheep and introduce them to the good shepherd. So that's your spiritual lineage. You and I are here today because whereas the Goths destroyed the temple of Artemis, they could not destroy the church. And instead, the church spread through the Goths and then all of Europe. And that's, that's our spiritual lineage. You have Goth in your spiritual lineage. That's why you feel a little sad sometimes when you look out the window. Uh, that's, a, that's the context in which John did ministry. In the shadow of this, this great temple, uh, he, he went on to do ministry and to run interceptions for Jesus. Um, I had a, a friend who went over to Ephesus uh, to tour the ruins that are there. The theater in which Paul stood is still there. You can see the marketplace that was outside, just rocks on the ground, but they know the footprint of where it was. Uh, it's one of the best preserved of the ancient cities because a case of malaria wiped out the population, so they didn't knock down the buildings. They just stayed there. And uh, I had a friend there who, when he was young, when he was a kid, he went there with his dad, and his dad was a history buff. And they went and stood in this great theater where Paul had stood, and people had chanted about Artemis. And this tour group was looking around, and the tour guide was giving detailed history. And this, this man, this father, looked up into the empty theater seats, and he yelled out at the top of his lungs, Megas, Artemis, Ephesus. And everybody turned and looked at him and his son covered his eyes and said, Dad, you're so embarrassing. What are you doing? And the man said to his son, I yelled it because I wanted to hear that there was no one there to yell it back. And that's the effect of a faithful church. A faithful church which through the centuries stays close to Jesus and walks with Jesus and remembers the Sabbath day every week as a day of worship, and spends time every day studying the Word and praying and drawing close to Jesus. Because what we're doing is we're trying to identify the voice of our shepherd, to be familiar with the voice of our shepherd, because we will be surrounded by a world of antichrists, people who claim to be Christians but preach a different gospel, or false gods towards which people make pilgrimages and who have huge temples. You and I are not called to run away and to go hide out in the sheep's pen with the other sheep. You and I are not called to be a circle of wagons. You and I are called to run interceptions for Jesus in a world that so desperately needs their shepherd. Let's go do that this week. Let's, you and I, Go out and run interceptions in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.